we are in a series, uh, The Life of Christ. This is our last one. It was a four-part series. And um, the premise of why we're studying, what did Jesus do? Jesus came in the midst of some pretty rough times on the earth. He didn't come in a time of peace. He didn't come in a time of joy. In fact, he didn't camp out, you know, out in the woods away from everybody. He came right up in the middle of what was happening in civilization at the time. And there was great, great wickedness happening. There was lots of perversion. Uh, the Romans had all their, uh, the Romans were very perverted, had their own little, um, you know, sex slaves. They, uh, they were very um, dominant. And so there was this constant desire to overthrow the government, if you will. In fact, two of the guys on Jesus' team were radicals who wanted, they would have been Antifa. They wanted to overthrow the government. Uh, there, was, uh, there was much prejudice, much pre Jesus stepped right into the middle of that. And he didn't just talk about how we should live for God. He lived it out in front of us. And so we looked at the different ways these last few weeks that Jesus approached the difficulties, how he lived out the kingdom of God. And it's with that as we close out this time today that I've titled this teaching, uh, Moving God to Action. Write that down, Moving God to Action. Um, I believe with all of my heart as I read through Scripture that God never intended you to be weak. He never intended you to fail. He never intended you to barely make it by. Um, even in suffrage, that even though we may suffer, that that is all an opportunity for his goodness to, to manifest on the earth and others to be changed, even through our difficulties. And as we look into this passage today, and we're going to look at this main passage here in the book of Luke and study what Jesus said, um, I want you to think like this. What if tomorrow, walking through Walmart, you laid hands on a woman with a cancerous tumor and it began to shrink? What would that do for you? What would that do for her? What would that do for her lineage? I want you to imagine that you post something that is prophetic on your socials and people begin to respond, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I was about to commit suicide and then you put that out there and God used it. I want you to think like that because this is who we're supposed to be. As believers, this is, the reason why our young people don't like Christianity is because we live it boring. Jesus did not live a boring life. Everywhere he went, people got raised from the dead, blind eyes opened, Prejudice came, up, came to an end. He walked in the room and everybody that was hating on each other just all of a sudden stopped hating. Come on, you with me? That's how we're supposed to live. And Jesus gives his disciples a key teaching that he lived out every day. And I want to bring you to this as we wrap this up. And this is found in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 10. It says, and Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and, uh, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and, have no, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, or because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Say that with me. Shameless audacity. Isn't that an awesome word phrase? Shameless audacity. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, excuse me, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, Jesus 
has just, prior to this that I just read to you, his disciples have come to him and they said, teach us to pray, teach us to engage with God, and we don't know how. And so Jesus doesn't give them magical words that if they say them, supernatural things will happen. He gives them a prayer pattern. Most of you know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And Jesus lays out a pattern. He says, listen, there's this pattern that you could learn to engage with God with. Uh, starting off with first that he's your dad in relationship, deep relationship. And then begin to worship him, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. He gives them a pattern. And when he finishes teaching them this little pattern, then he moves into this illustration. He moves into a storyline. And he has three characters in his storyline. He has the person who is the weary traveler. Then he has the, 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 the wonderful friend who receives the weary traveler into his home. And then he has the benefactor, the person with the ability to actually make something supernatural happen for this person's life. So the weary traveler is, is really those people that are out there hurting. He's using this illustration. And then the, 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 the nice and kind you know, a friend is us, the believer, the followers of God. And then the, this benefactor, this one who actually helps, is literally God himself. So, so Jesus lays out these three characters, and he's doing it and teaching us how to engage with God, how to actually move God, how to get God moving in the things that we are crying out for to see the miraculous happen in our lifetime. And so it's from that illustration I really want to teach you some truths about moving God, about moving God's hand. Real simple today, real simple understanding of how God literally is waiting on us. People tell me all the time, I'm waiting on the Lord. I believe God's waiting on us. I, 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 believe, I believe we sit around hoping something supernatural happen instead of being shamelessly audacious. I, I believe that when you and I come to a place of recognizing that we as the people of God were created and have experienced goodness in our life so that we can help others in their time of need, others who were broke down, who were weary. And so you've got to understand this whole illustration is Jesus trying to teach us not just how to be a good Christian, but how to move the hand of God, how to get things stirred up, how to get life happening again. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a boring, safe life. I want to change the world. I want the world around me to say, because he was alive, it was better. I want to murder out all prejudice in this, these United States. I want to see the poor and the broken actually come into a loving relationship with the King of Kings and no longer have suffrage every day of their life. I want to see those who have been tormented by demonic forces, who can't stop all of the addictions and just can't stop all the craziness. I want to see them delivered. I was ministering here, uh, a few months back at this conference and I had this word from the Lord and I literally heard the Lord say, "Tell, speak this out. And I said, I do not want to speak this. He said, do it right now. I said, there's someone in this room and you have been the Lord's telling me there's someone in this room and you have been torturing little animals and the Lord says that today is a day of freedom and deliverance for you because if you don't something horrific is trying to attach to your life I left it at that I didn't even get a show is that anybody I was like I hope it works I'm out you know like I didn't want to even see if, if like in case I missed it real bad you know kind of thing I was just trying to be obedient to the Lord and, uh, and so went on, ministered some more, and about an hour after that pronunciation, I gave that prophetic word, uh, we finished the service about 30 minutes later, and about 30 minutes after that, I'm just kind of standing around, and this good-looking, Abercrombie-looking kid walks up to, he's about 19, 20 years old, and he goes, hey, sir, that thing that you said was me. 
And I, well, I said a bunch of things. So which one are you talking about? And he goes, that thing about torturing animals. And I'm looking at him like, you don't look like a creep. Yeah. Like, like, wow. Like, you look like somebody out of a model, a model out of a catalog. And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, in fact, I was convinced that I was going to be the next great serial killer. He said, when you said that, I had just asked God, if you're real and, you, and you're really there, then I need you to speak to me. And he said, and then you said that. And he said, my heart melted because God was alive in the earth. And I realized it for the first time. He said, and I went and found one of those counselor people and they just cast these demon things out of me. I said, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Can you imagine? I had the next great serial killer sitting in the service. I could have never known that, but God who is rich in mercy, come on, who is kind and gentle, was just waiting on somebody to move with him and move his hand into the right direction to see the deliverance for that young man. I promise you, he's going to be one of the greatest preachers ever. I don't want to be the only one. We should all be living like this. Are you with me? Say yes. So I want to give you a couple key pieces out of this message that Jesus gives us. I'm calling them three truths. Three truths to moving God to action, to get God on the scene in the scenario. We're not going, listen, we're not going to, because we get some good little, uh, get some nice little people elected, we're not going to change the wickedness in this world. God's hand has to move to deliver people because even if we get better systems, people are corrupt. You can put good people in bad systems and, they'll, and it'll work. But you put corrupt people in good systems and they'll corrupt it every time. And you cannot uncorrupt someone by being good. They have to fall on their knees and find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Each and every one of us tried to be good, but we couldn't be good in our own self until Jesus took precedence in our life. And then all of a sudden, his goodness comes out of us. Are you with me? Say yes. So let me give you these three truths that we see in this passage. The first truth that I find in moving God to action, number one, is a concern for others. You and I have to come to the place that we have a concern for others. Every time Jesus did miracles, it said, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Do you know why you don't see miracles in your life? Because you don't care about anybody else. That's what happened to me. As an only child, as an only child, I never shared anything with anybody. Early on in ministry, I was like, why is nothing great happening in my life? Because it was all about me. It was about hearing people go, oh, that was a good message. Oh, you're the man, you're the hero. And I never saw past me being uplifted to see their need and where they were at. And Jesus opens up this thing and he talks about this weary traveler. There's a guy who shows up at his house at midnight. At midnight. Now, I want, you to, I want you to understand, because we don't live in the Middle East back in ancient times, it doesn't hit us the way it would have hit the people that Jesus is speaking to. Midnight would hit us a little bit because, you know, if somebody shows up at your house knocking on the door at midnight, they're going to get shot. All right, first off, you're like, what are you doing? Okay, so you get that, right? So at least you know that. But traveling at night in ancient times was a stupid, foolish, horrific thing to do because there is no 911 to make a phone call to. There is no one out there to protect you. And so no one would travel after sundown because the robbers and the thieves, they're waiting behind that bush. They're waiting on that roadside. They're waiting. There are no, you can't go down the highway at 80 miles an hour and, and blow past them. You're walking. You're pulling that mule. You're whatever you're doing. And the sun has gone down and you've not gotten to a place of safety. So the fact that this man shows up at the house at midnight means that this guy, one of two things had either happened. Either he had been robbed he had been robbed and, 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 and you know, beat down and, and finally came to himself. Or he'd gotten lost or he had misprepared for the journey. 
And either way, it's a very trite. So when he shows up and he is hungry, it's more than just, I want to be hospitable to him. Because in their culture, they are very hospitable, but they wouldn't have been hospitable at midnight. Okay, like dummy, what are you doing? So this person is probably starving and weary and potentially even have been beat down. And this friend, he knows him, but it doesn't, it's not the same best, word, best friend word here. This is more like an acquaintance. This is more like being caring, concerned. This is more phileo. This is that, you know, this person that, that just had need and, and I kind of took him in. And so the, the guy takes him in, but he doesn't have anything to feed him. And obviously, if, if he wasn't starving, we could wait till 6 a.m. when the sun comes up and get you some food, just put you in bed and get you, get you in a house and lock the doors and get you safe. This thing is much more about their weariness, their starvation, and the friend is concerned about it. When you and I begin to be concerned about others, that's when God begins to move. When you and I begin to do things for others, that's when God begins to move our concern off of ourselves and onto someone else. This guy is traveling at midnight. Frank, can I tell you something? I had an experience like this one time. Jamie and I were young. We had just been married, not even, probably two years at this point. And we're youth ministers in Louisiana, and we decided we're going to take 30 kids on a mission trip to Mexico. We got two 15-passenger vans, and we're pulling a, you know, a six-by-eight trailer with all their luggage in it, and we got 30 kids and Jamie and me. And we're probably, I, I'm probably, what, 24 years old, 25. She's, you know, she's <laughs> a lot younger, a lot younger. <laughs> you are never any age, baby. You've frozen at 25. <laughs> And, uh, and so we get to the border at the mission station, and I said, listen, um, the missionary is going to meet you at this location on a map. Now, this is in the early 90s, okay? So cell phone, I had a brick phone. I had the Saved by the Bell brick phone with me. But in those days, you couldn't cross the border and, and, and then work in, in another country. And so it, it was useless once we got to the border and we we're going to cross. We had to travel eight hours into Mexico. And the missionary on that side was supposed to meet us at the border and then bring us in, but they had had tragedy. Someone had died in the ministry. So they said, listen, and they pointed on the map right here at this spot. They're going to find you right here at this spot. And we're like, okay, let's go. You know, you're in your 20s, you're stupid, let's go. Okay, let's do this. And so we got these, you know, 30 teenagers in these 15 passion vans, and we just start driving. Whoa, we're driving, and all of a sudden it gets dark. And this is Mexico in the 90s. And so now we're in backwoods Mexico. We're in like gringos should not be here Mexico. You know when you made a turn and you went, I'm not supposed to be here. You ever been driving in that place at night? Like, I have made a wrong turn. I'll never forget one time when we got stopped in Compton at night. And I was like, oh, no, 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 they don't want me here. And so I was trying to, anyway, so, so I'm driving through Mexico and all of a sudden we think, we, we're at that dot on the map, we think. But we don't, you know, Jamie's the only one that's got a little bit of Spanish. The rest of us, you know, we are straight up gringos. We don't have any idea. Like, como esta day? You know, we were just terrible. El bathroom somewhere? You know, that's about all we had. And so, and so we see this cantina. It's, I guess it was somebody's roadside house bar. And so we're like, we got to try to use the phone or something. We've been driving around in circles at midnight. And multiple times we passed people with machine guns on the side of the road. And like we don't know if they're rebels, we don't know who they are, but we're like we're not stopping. And then uh, and so we pull up, we jump out at this cantina, and they and it's just like the old western, and they all look up at us like, 
what are you doing here? You know, we're like, never mind. <laughs> Jump back into it. The, and then we're thinking, they're, they're following us. And so you got all these little charismatic kids, and they're like, give me a Oh, God. And it's a good way to get your kids saved, by the way. Send them on a missions trip. And so, so we've been circling. We crossed one, one bridge with these guys with machine guns, and they're glaring at us, and they make us give them money. We get to the other end of the bridge, and it's a dead end. It doesn't go anywhere. So we're like, well, this is the wrong bridge. So we come back around, and they catch us on the other side and make us give them money. And we don't know. We're just giving them money. Don't kill us. Please don't kill us, you know, because no one's going to find our bodies out here. And the whole time I'm thinking, there are some parents and, that are going to kill me. And so I'm like, y'all don't tell your mom and dad about none of this, all right? So here we are. It's midnight. We're driving down a dirt road, and we don't know what to do. We're praying. And then all of a sudden, we see these headlights come up. And it's an old beat-up Chevy truck. And this guy gets up on the side of it. He's got long hair and a cowboy hat. He's, pull over. And we're like, no, we will not. Pull over. And he gets ahead of us and he slams on the brakes. So we stop. And he gets out and he's got a Bible in his hand. He's like, I'm the missionary. We're like, oh, my Jesus. Oh, cut your hair or something, bro. You look like, you're like somebody who's going to murder us in that moment. Like, you don't know what we've been through. The guy has made it to a safe place. When we got to the missionary, I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, I'd been holding going to the bathroom for eight hours. The peace that comes over you when you're in a safe place after being in a, an emergency place. This guy makes it to his friend's house at midnight, and he's starving, and he is probably shaking uncontrollably, and the friend actually cares. So much so, he goes, dude, I got nothing to feed you. We weren't prepared for you. We didn't know you were coming. We, we, we didn't know. And so what does he do? He goes to the neighbor's house. He goes to the neighbor's house. Why? Because he cares for him. The reason why we don't see miracles is because we don't care about anybody but ourselves. That's the first step in moving God's hand. When you and I say, Lord, give me a heart for broken people. Give me a heart for my neighbor. Give me a, hate, uh, give, give me a heart for my, for my uncle who's a jerk who nobody likes. Lord, help me care for those. Give me, give me a caring heart. Lord, I want to care for others. When you start making that shift, something supernatural is going to happen. Here's the second big truth that you need to know, and that is this, is that the second big truth is friendship with God. Write it down and let me explain it to you. First is a care for others, others' needs. Then there's this friendship with God piece. I love this. It says, and he goes to his friend's house, and he begins banging on the door at midnight. You show up at my house banging at the door at midnight, you better be a friend. You better be my best friend. And that's exactly what the insinuation is here by Jesus. The guy is not, he, he goes to his friend, he begins, hey, I, somebody, somebody's in, in need and, and, and you can help me. Now Jesus, again, he's connecting all of this to these three characters. Me and you, the Christian, the person who's hurting out there, and God who has the ability to help us. And so Jesus literally is putting God in the position, in his, in his story, as the person who has the ability to help but he's not really motivated by just because of our friendship. But there is a friendship that most people don't catch. There is such a friendship that I have the courage, the audacity to go and engage with that friend. To know that I love. I want you to understand. It is hard to see supernatural things happen in your life when you don't see Jesus as your best friend. There is this friendship with God that has to come into your identity. In John chapter 15 and verse 14, it says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. I don't want to be an acquaintance of Jesus. I don't want to be a long-distant relative of God. I want to be best friends with the God that I serve. The creator of humanity doesn't want to just have a, just a once in a, every now and then text message from me when I'm in need. He wants to be my best friend. He created us in his image. We are created in his image. No other, uh, other uh, being on the planet or in the heavens are created in his image. He took a, here's how I picture He took a mirror and he went bzzz, bzzz, voila. And that's why Satan hates us so much, because we are created in the image of God. And every time he sees you and sees your children, he wants you destroyed because you remind him of the one he could not overtake. He remind him of the one who has disciplined him and will ultimately punish him. And he wants to take you with him into his punishment. And that's why you and I stand in that space of care for others and say, no, 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 don't go down that path. Why? Because we know the fearful thing that awaits those who turn their backs on God. And Jesus says, listen, I don't look at you like slaves. You're my friend. You're friends of God. And he gives us two qualifying pieces, two keys to friendship with God. Write these down. This is a little sub-message. You know you get a whole lot when you come here. So here's a, here's a second message within a message. There are two qualifying keys to friendship with God. Number one, that you do what he commands. So I want to be a friend of God. Well, then do what he commands. That's what he says. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Your friendship's really easy with Jesus. Just do what he says. It's that easy. It's, it, you say, well, that's hard for me because the Bible says to do this, and I just don't believe that. That's going to be hard. Yep. It's hard to be a friend to Jesus when you don't want to obey what he's commanded us to do. It's, I've already settled that. I settled that years ago. I broke out, broke out of my selfishness, broke out of my ability to think I could figure everything out, make it all happen in my own strength, and try to be successful in the things of this world, and be rich and successful, and blah, 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 blah. And I just fell on my knees and said, Jesus, I keep messing up everything, so why don't you just be my God, and how about I just do what you say? It's so much easier. Have you ever tried to do your own business? And then somebody came back around and said, I'm just going to get back on staff with somebody else's business. I kept, I kept trying to run my own business, and I just went and surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think the Creator knows the best way for me to live out this life. I think the one who fashioned all of it can, can lead me in the right direction if I'll just follow him. Here's the second thing that he says to do. He says, number one, you're my friend if you do what I command. Number two, if you care about what I care about. Number two, he says, listen, because a friend knows the boss's business. Knows the bosses. Here's how you know you're a friend of God. Number one, because you do what he tells you to do in the Holy Scriptures and because you care about what he cares about. You're not just, a, you're not just an employee. Have you, ever, have you ever been on staff with somebody or worked a job with somebody and all they wanted was the paycheck? They didn't care and fly and flip about that company. They didn't care about the well-being of that thing. All they wanted to do is get their paycheck. They talked bad about it. They didn't do anything extra. They didn't get there on time. They didn't leave, leave on time. They, whatever they had to do because it was all about them. And he, Jesus literally qualifies it. He says, I call you friends because you know the business of it all you got the heart if you've ever owned a small business Jamie and I have a little small business and, and I'm gonna tell you something it is a it, it, our heart bleeds this little business why because because our income is based on it and, and our ability to do some other things are, it's all and so the heart of it the reason for it and, and what we're trying to accomplish as as the lead pastors here at the church I carry the burden that all of you are nice 
because when you're not nice, people don't get a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And when you're rude and you sit in the foyer and you just look at them like you mean bug them the whole time. That was, I was so grateful for masks in that season because some of you, no one knew how mean you really were, you know, because you had the mask covering your little frown stuff. And so we carry that. We carry when someone says, I came to Hill City and I just didn't feel welcome in love. And so, you know, I'm just going to go back into my sin because it wasn't worth it. I, I, I carry that. Why? Because it's, pers- I, it's personal to me because I, I'm the leader of it. God's entrusted me as the lead pastor. And, 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 and Jesus says it like this. He says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Because friends know the business of it all. Friends are up in it trying to make this happen together. These are the two qualifying pieces. In Jesus' teaching, he says, listen, if you will be concerned about others, you'll get the hand of God moving. And then if you can boldly walk up to God because you're his friend, you'll get his hand moving. See, when you and I are friends of God, he doesn't look at us in shameful frustration. He knows that we're stupid. He knows we fail. He knows that we're going to mess it all up, but we're friends. How much grace do you have on your friend? You have a lot of grace on your friend. We talked about this last week. Your own kid. He's like, oh, he's not that bad. He, you know, he didn't mean to do it, teacher. Please don't fail him out of this class because, dear Lord, I can't pay to put him back in this school. Oh, dear Jesus. Please, I'm telling you, he's a good kid. He really is. I used to tell parents all the time, no, he's not. Stop it. He's a little devil. No, he really is a good kid. No, he's not. I'm just telling you, he's not a good kid. He's not a good kid. He needs to get delivered like all of us. Okay, Pastor, whatever you say, but he is a good kid. No, he's not. That's your problem. You keep telling him he's a good kid. He knows he's not a good kid. We all know he's not a good kid. And he's to repent like the rest of us and fall on his face and ask Jesus into his life. Jesus illustrates this whole thing about moving God's hand is that the friend goes and bold and courageous, which brings us to the third truth about moving God's hand, and that is there should be a shameless audacity in us, a shameless audacity. Jesus tells us that the benefactor, he's not really moved by the deep friendship because it's, it's inconvenient right now. This is not a good time. Come on, has, has your kid ever done that to you? It's not a good time, but they won't let you go. Oh, my 13-year-old does that to us all the time, and I just, my, mom's having a conversation with me, and the 13-year-old comes in about something, and next thing I know, they're gone. Like, like I'm the boss. And you just left and just went and did what she wanted. And she's now the boss. Wait a minute, you know? And that's literally what Jesus is saying, even though it's an inconvenient time. Because the benefactor, God, is, is saying, I'm in bed, it's all locked down, wait till in the morning, it's inconvenient. And just even though you've got this best friendship, he's not motivated by that, he's motivated by your shameless audacity. Da, 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 Penny, penny, just shameless audacity, knocking, 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 knocking. You finally open the door like, what? What is it? I will get you some bread and leave me alone. And don't we all really love when someone's passionate about something, even if they drive us insane, especially when they're passionate about something that's right. And it moves us, even when we don't want to be moved. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get home late 10 o'clock, been praying with people, ministering to people, get home, just want to watch a little bit of TV, just a little bit. Don't want to watch the news because everybody's dying and everybody's a hypocrite and everybody's stupid and, 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 and I'm a bad person, you know, so I just don't want to watch that. Just give me something and, and I'll watch some old movie or something and every commercial on the wings of an angel. 
poor little dog has been here suffering. He got this little one-eyed dog, you know. And I'm like, and just for $3 a day, $3, that's 90 bucks, man. I ain't giving you $100 a month for a little rescue, little, <laughs> like, like, that's good food at, at a restaurant. Anyway, it's just like, well, I don't, I just don't get that. But after watching it for three minutes, I'm like, I got, I got to help them. I got to send some money. And thank God Jamie's got the credit cards because I'd be paying for dogs all night long, man. Look. Little stray cats and all this kind of stuff. Why it pulls at your heart, and, and, and the reason why it works is because you're like, that ain't right, man. They shouldn't. Them little dogs need somebody to love them. They need some COVID to come through so everybody will go adopt a friend. You know, I mean, it's like, oh man. And it's that same concept of audacity. Just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Some of you hadn't had breakthrough in your family because you gave up because you didn't keep pushing because you weren't confident in your friendship with God. So you're like, I don't want to bother you, um, so I'm just going to kind of leave this request right here, and if you get some time, maybe you can look at it. <laughs> I know I haven't been a good Christian, I'm sorry, you know, I don't want to be better. And so you got this whole attitude about it instead of that friend who said, no, 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 Jesus, 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 you know how much I need, Jesus, I need a miracle here, my boss is full of Satan, Jesus, Jesus, and it's that audacity. That shame, I love how the scripture call, lays it out, shameless audacity. Jesus didn't just preach this. He lived this. I want to show you an example of how he lived this. Turn with me to John chapter 2 and verse 13. John chapter 2 and verse 13, Jesus goes to the temple. Now, you've got to remember, I've taught you this before, but for some of you who weren't here, you hadn't gotten saved yet and you hadn't made it here yet. So anyway, but in their experience with their God before the new covenant the Jews' experience with God was really based around the temple. Um, there was actually a, in, in earlier times, there was a back room, an inner sanctum, where the Ark of the Covenant is. Come on, you saw, you saw Indiana Jones. The Ark of the Covenant was back there, and God's presence was there. And no one was allowed in that, but the whole temple itself was engaged with, as, as a follower of God, uh, the Jewish people, that this is where God's presence is at. There you go. We meet with God. And the holy scriptures are shared with us in this kind of thing. And so, and so the, the temple was this sacred engagement with God place, right? And now, thank you, God, for the new covenant where he's ripped all that veil. There is no space between us and our Father. And literally, his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are the temple now. Wherever we go, God's presence is with us. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so there's this, there's this moment, though, in Jesus' time where he goes up to the temple because that is the place of sacred engagement with God. And when he gets there, they are like a late night televangelist. And he loses his mind. Let's look in verse 13 of John chapter 2. It says, it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jews, uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And others sitting at tables exchanging money. And the reason why is because they would come from, you know, they come from Japan, if you will, and they got to switch it into dollars. They, they come from their area of, of, of where they lived, and they needed to switch out the money so they could give an offering at the temple unto the Lord. And not only that, but they needed to make their sacrifices. So these people were selling them uh, animals. They've been all year raising these animals to be able to be sacrificed. And the foreigners coming in, the, the, the Jews that lived in other, other, other areas would come in, and they needed to purchase them because it was easier than bringing their own little land 
lamb that they had been raising. Are you still tracking? Say yes, please. So and doves and others sitting at a table exchanging money. Verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple area. The Bible is so sweet. And he made a whip and he drove them all out. I need you to understand a little bit what this looks like. I want you to think, I want you to think Black Friday sale. I want you to think people fighting to get into Walmart. Lines and lines of people. And these jokers set up misappropriating the, pre the presence and the place of meeting with God. And they've turned it into, if you will, a discount sale. And Jesus will not have it. And so he can you imagine being his disciples? He goes, y'all just give me a second. And he goes over there and he gets some leather and he gets some other stuff. And he, gets, he starts making a whip, you know, because he's a carpenter, so he can build stuff. He's building this thing, you know. And they're like, what you doing? <laughs> and he just keeps, <laughs> he's making this thing. And then all of a sudden, now, more than likely, scholars believe that there's probably somewhere between 2,000 and 10,000 10, people in this area right now. Okay, So I want you to think about one man with a whip clearing the house. Go away. Y'all been bad. Stop it. That's not at all what that looked like. You talk about a man's man. His voice got loud. Hey! You will not turn my father's house into a den of thieves. It's a place of prayer. Ah! And he just starts going. And he takes all the money tables and he's throwing them upside down. Money's going everywhere and he's whooping people. I mean, old school mama style. Back, come on. Remember, grandmama would take that thing, boy, and just anybody, anybody standing by is getting whooped. I mean, just whooping everybody. Everybody getting whooped. You, I didn't even do it. What? I mean, Peter's getting whooped. Everybody's getting You get close. And he clears out thousands of people. I don't know if it took him five minutes. I don't know if it took him 30 minutes, but he clears the house because the zeal of God, the Bible says, he says, the zeal of God has consumed me. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if I offend you. I don't care if it makes you mad and you say, oh, I thought you were supposed to be sweet, Jesus. No, no, no. This is right and you are wrong and I will fix this in one holy moment. I will drive your carnality and your wickedness right on out of this place. Audacity. Shameless. He doesn't care. Don't care if you like him. Don't care if you're like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, no, no, no. He don't care if flying flip. He don't care if he loses friends on social media. He don't care. He don't care because this is right. Shameless audacity. When's the last time you've been fired up against sin? When's the last time you've been fired up about helping somebody? When's the last time you said, God, we got to move on this? God, you got to do a miracle in this. These are the three truths that move God's hand. He says, and then the guy gets up. He says, I will give you whatever you need to take care of this weary traveler. How much do you need? Look, I got three loaves. You, that's all you need because I need you. Go, go take care of it. You got this. And Jesus summarizes all of our engagement on this earth to see the supernatural with these three truths. Number one, that we actually care about somebody else other than ourselves. That moves God's hands. Number two, that you and I come into a place where we're best friends with Jesus. We're best friends with God. That we know that we mess up and we know that we don't have it all together and we shouldn't have done what we did yesterday. But it's not based on what we do and don't do. It's based on friendship. That you're my best friend. And how do we qualify friendship? That we obey, his, we obey his commands and that we know his heart. We care about what he cares about. That's how we qualify that. And then that we're audacious. We're audacious. 
When's the last time you just walked up to somebody and said, I am so sorry to embarrass you right now, but I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. I know we are standing in line at Chick-fil-A. And I know, but they are right. They're Christians too. And I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. When's the last time you saw that need so deep in that person's eyes that you just couldn't drive past it? You couldn't just move past it. It's that care. In fact, we're going to take the month of April and the members of Hill City, we're going to go out into our community and we're going to serve our community. We're titling it the greatest of all time because the scripture says the greatest amongst you is the servant of all. You know, one of the things that happened in 2020 that was right is that people said, you Christians don't even seem to care about the people who are hurting. And they, they had that right. There's some of that that's, that's happened. We've gotten in our little place of safety and our little place of comfort and, 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 and people are hurting. There are kids who cannot read in our public school system. And there are people who have so much time on their hands that, uh, that, that they can post for eight hours a day on social media. Why don't you go take 30 minutes and read to some of these kids and help them learn to read? There are folks who just need a little help. They don't, they don't, they don't need a handout. They just need a hand up. Just a hand up. Don't st steal somebody's dignity by trying to give them what, what just give them an opportunity to, to build for themselves. There, there's, there's, there's some young, uh, you know, some young folks that would love to have a decent job. They just, need, they just need a man to kind of teach them how to actually do an interview properly. They just, they just, need, they just need a mom, you know, because they've been fighting through, just trying to, like everybody else, trying to survive. And whatever their surroundings is, they became a, a product of their surroundings. Just a little bit of love, just a little bit of help, a little bit of care, and I promise you, you'll see miracles like you never thought possible. You'll look up and go, this is what I was made to do. I was made to help people. I was made, that's what we were made to do. When you became a Christian, something got seeded inside of you. I like what the old preacher said. He said, I, I had a debt to God. He paid my debt, and now I owe to help others know his goodness. I, I have to. I can't, I can't live like this. I, I've got to actually do something so much greater with my life than just getting by, just surviving. Years ago, some of you heard this when I was just a little boy. Mimi and I, we, we didn't have pop in our life, and we weren't Christians. We weren't believers we didn't know anything really about God. And we grew up, you know, Christmas for us, I say it all the time, was everybody getting drunk and getting in a fight in the front yard and the cops coming. I was like, yeah, that was a good Christmas. And we moved in with my grandmother, and, um, and she had this little HUD home that she had just bought. She finally got enough money to get a little HUD home in this little neighborhood. And so most of the people that were, were first-time home buyers, so a bunch of little young couples with kids my age. And so here's her grandkid and her daughter living with her. And, and so that's how I grew up, and, and, um, and so we, I'll never forget one, one Saturday, we're just out playing in one of, the, one of the lots that they hadn't built the house on yet. You know, we're just playing, and we're playing baseball. You know, back in those days, that's what you did in the 70s. You played baseball, sand lot, you know, bad news bears, you know, that was all of our dreams. So there were about 10 of us out there playing. And this guy rolls up in a station wagon. Let me see, how do I explain that to millennials? Um, <laughs> Pre-SUV. Think SUV shorter. There we go. And uh, this guy rolls up in a station wagon. He gets out and he's got this bag of candy. He says, hey, kids, y'all want some candy? So all the kids go running over there. I, I, I've grown up in the hood my whole life. So I'm like, dude, that's a child molester. You guys are going to get taken away in his, you know, in his crazy little pre-SUV you know, car. Don't do it. But at the same time, they ran over there, and I'm watching, you know, and, and so I'm just kind of standing there, and they're all eating the candy, and they're not dying, and he's not taking any of them. So I thought, well, I'd like some candy. 
So I go over there, and I'm, I'm standing there, you know, and he says, hey, buddy, you want some candy? I said, sure, take some candy. And he said, now, listen, here's why I'm over here giving you guys candy. He goes, because the church up the road, he said, we're going to have Sunday school this Sunday, and I want all of you to come. And so I'll never, you know, me being the big mouth, I'm like, what the blank and blank in a Sunday school? He said, well, son, that's where you're going to learn about Jesus. I said, who the blank and nothing Jesus is Jesus? Who is that? He goes, son, just get on the bus. Just get on the bus. I was like, okay, well, what time are you going to come pick us up? I said, he's like, there's going to be games and stuff, and you're going to learn about Jesus. I said, okay, well, about what time? He says, I said, we'll pick you up at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock on a Sunday? <laughs> you out of your mind. Oh, that's the funniest thing in the world. That was the funniest thing in the world, man. And so you know where they put that bus at? Right in front of my house. Blah, 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 blah. 7.45 in the morning. Blah, 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 blah. And you remember the old church buses? They didn't ever run. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to stop that sucker. I'll never, I looked at what is going on. I looked out the little window. And uh, there was none of, my, none of my bros were out there. It was just, you know, like 10 little girls and stuff. I was like, that's so stupid. I'm not going. Next Sunday, um, next Sunday, same thing. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> looked out there. It was about 15, 20 girls this time thinking, man, none of my buddies are going. It's just all girls. <laughs> Third week, I looked out there. There must have been 30 girls. I said, hold up. I'm going to Sunday school. Ah, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. Sunday school. How you doing? I went to church, man. I got radically saved. Came home, told my mom. She came. She got saved. Do you know what happened with that bus program, reaching out to kids? There's a man, the man with the candy bag. He went to the board at the church crass in Zachary, Louisiana, and he said, listen, we've got to help these kids. There's kids out there, single moms. Nobody wants to help them. And I propose that we help them. We teach them about Jesus, help them know God, change their lives. The board said, we ain't got any money for that. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, just let me take the church bus. I said, we ain't got any money to pay for the gas. He said, I'll pay for the gas. He said, I don't have a lot of money either. They said, okay, we'll let you try it for a month. And if something great happens, then we'll keep doing it. But, but I don't know. And that bus came for four weeks. I got on on the third week. The Church of Christ decided that there wasn't enough kids getting saved and transformed and families coming and tithing as a result of it. So they didn't let him do it again after the four weeks. I'm grateful. That somebody... Somebody said, I'll make the sacrifice. I'll go knock on doors. I will get gas money for these little kids. I will go stand out there and look like an idiot. I'll be audacious to save a soul, to save a kid's life. Can I tell you how? That man has no idea. One day I'm going to meet him in heaven, and he's going to look at me and say, you that little kid? I'm going to say, I'm that little kid. And I'm going to show him the millions that have gotten saved because he made one little investment for a couple of weeks. Getting up early, trying to get kids to get on a bus to go to Sunday school. Friend, when you and I get out of our comfort zone, we start caring about others, and we pull on our friendship with God, and we're audacious, and we keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and it may not look good, and there may not be this 
wow factor that happens from it. But that seed goes forth of the supernatural. And that man has no idea that today I'm preaching around the world, that I'm pastoring the greatest people on the planet and raising them up to go change the world. He had no idea that that audacious that he missed that he had to fight against that old mean board who wanted comfort and safety. He had no idea the supernatural results of his moment of being audacious. I don't know if he ever did it again. I don't know if he ever tried again. No, no, no. I don't know anything about the man. All I know is because he cared for a moment. It changed my life. It brought miracles into my family. And as a result, millions have been affected because what God did through this one man's moment of audacious, shameless activity to say, I'm going to do something for God. And that's what I'm calling you to. That's what Jesus did. That's how he lived. And that's what he expected us to be.